And the episode 1379 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode 1379. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. And we have uh, a review of the early part of the college football season and the NFL season for you today. We're going to take a look back at NFL Week 1 and the first two weeks of the college football season. We have a new FDH Lounge dignitary that we're welcoming to the program, Derek Joseph. And I want to take a minute here and just kind of set this because it was a little bit of a surprise to me as I went back and looked how long it is since we've done this because by my records, as I look at it, Everybody that we've had for doing football, and football has been our most predominant subject here on the show where nothing is off topic. Now, when we spun off of FantasyDraftHelp.com back in the day and we wanted to do a show where we would break down everything in the world like we do fantasy sports, inevitably sports were going to be a part of it and outpacing the other areas out there, uh, including TV and entertainment and other areas, including other sports, and the news things when we get to them is football. Football is the number one thing that we've done. And it's a very sacrosanct area to a lot of us with this program, and we take such great pride and joy in everything we've done with that. And everybody that we've got, this is really unbelievable to me, dates back to the old Sports Talk Network days, whether it's folks that I met there who were doing their own shows who came on board or folks that I brought into the show when we were there. And you look at the original dignitaries at the time, Nate Noy, Tim Faust, Jason Jones, Chris Galloway. Now, Jason and Chris and I every year still do the NFL preview and review segments, uh, and Galloway has done the uh, divisional previews for me in recent years. We've done those in August, just did those recently. Joe Stazak, I just did a fantasy football segment with him last week. Always one of my favorite people in the world for having me on his show. Uh, 97.5, the Fanatic in Philadelphia, as much as he uh, has. Uh, what a great honor that's been. And his co-host on Callus Remarks podcast, Steve Callis. Uh, Kyle Ross, the great handicapper over the years, done more segments with him, I think, than anybody. The scout, Ken Becks from FirstDownScouting.com. Fran Stuckberry from Our Sports Central. We've done a lot of uh, college football with him and also XFL, as that is a passion of his. Just did a college football preview with him recently. Russ Cohen from Sportsology. We've done more hockey and baseball with him than football, but he's been on for some football, and he's great at whatever he does. And uh, Lloyd Carroll from the Queen's Chronicle, who uh, I would call him the biggest character in the New York sports media, but that would be selling him short. Uh, he's the biggest character in the New York media. And uh, my condolences for anybody that's ever had to stare down his questions at a press conference, but uh, that's Lloyd for you. And this group is just really incredible, and it's uh, a pleasure to be able to add to it today. And as is often the case uh, with, with the people that I've surrounded myself with, it's really just kind of serendipity as far as how it comes to be. So the aforementioned Russ Cohen from Sportsology. So he and I, of course, with the FDH Lounge and FantasyDraftHelp.com, us two sort of at the middle of this, we've co-promoted a great number of things, including our draft guides that we do every year under the banner of the 21st Century Media Alliance. And that is uh, an overhang that we've used to promote a bunch of projects publicly. But then there's sort of a parallel effort behind the scenes as far as just trying to get to know good people, do some good networking. And uh, it, it just it's amazing the number of things over the years that have flowed from that and that you're looking in one direction and you end up having something in another direction that ends up dropping into your lap. And so, too, that was the case here, because uh, last winter, I came to uh, be very impressed with uh, a very, very excellent uh, writing operation uh, under the banner of a very talented uh, woman by the name of Maya Master. And you can find her on Twitter, at ChaoticGoodest. And uh, if you do that, I really urge you to go to her link tree, because that's where you can kind of get a look at the whole 
operation there. She's somebody that is going to be really, really big in uh, a number of different areas, but I think certainly health and wellness among them. Uh, recommend her books highly, Until You Make It, On the Rocks, and Everything I Didn't Say. And it was in the course of getting to know about uh, her operation and be very impressed with it that I got to know Derek, because uh, if you if you follow uh, Meyer's Twitter feed, then you would be, uh, again, if not familiar with uh, Derek under the name Derek, you'll know who I'm talking about, but uh, somebody who is very, very instrumental uh, in, in, in being a, a good uh, stabilizing balance, I think, personally and professionally, and uh, any kind of operation, no matter the amount of talent that's involved in it, you have to have somebody like Derek in the mix, uh, a, a good analytical mind to, to kind of help keep things moving forward and be an excellent sounding board and source of advice. And in the course of uh, getting to know them, uh, again, uh, this, uh, this came about as far as having uh, Derek on the program, since he is very much interested in the world of uh, handicapping, particularly with uh, football. I will say that uh, Derek already and Maya were kind enough to uh, help me with one of my uh, behind-the-scenes projects that I've been working on. Not a public-facing project today. Hopefully it's something that uh, will be public-facing at some point, but they gave me very good advice and feedback. And you can find Derek on Twitter, at dude underscore cav. And uh, that is... Uh, I know from his Twitter page here, it's a different kind of calf than I'm wearing my Cleveland Cavs uh, shorts yeah, and T-shirt no, not today. The Cavaliers. Yes, yes, it's not the Cavaliers. It's not my calves that I am so beloved of, but uh, it's a different kind, and uh, you get some insights into his mind there as well, and uh, his his way of thinking about things. So, uh, Derek, with all that being said, with that lengthy Ephus pitch wind up out of the way, it's a pleasure to have you on the show here, and I'm looking forward to breaking down some football with you. Yeah, no, glad to be here. Great, you know, you compare Maya, who's, you know, had this very successful career filled with all these different, you know, writings and other stuff, and then and then you jumped at me, and it's, oh, yeah, you know, you got Derek, who, uh, <laughs> he supports her. No, but in all seriousness, <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's it, it's awesome, and, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just happy to be here, be able to talk about, you know, something I love and passionate about, and um, something that, you know, is sports and specifically football and specifically a sport that I have no business giving takes on, but, you know, much like 99% of sports media, uh, I'm just going to give uh, probably very invalid and inexperienced opinions, but, you know, got to get those clicks. I, I'm sure that will not be the case. And, and by the way, if, if that was the way that I referred to you, Derek, join the club, right? Because for me, you, everybody else in the media alliance here, uh, there's all of us, and then there's her with what she's got going on here. So uh, as, as I look around the figurative landscape of uh, my cohorts in the 21st century media lights, people that I've done stuff with, whatever, you're in very good company, uh, all of us being in her shadow, my friend. <laughs> no, absolutely. She's a rock star. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, one of a kind, truly. And uh, in looking at the... Uh, the season thus far. I'm going to start NCAA, and I know from Twitter, I know from uh, checking, uh, it was either, uh, I don't, I, it, all, it blurs together between things you've tweeted out or things that she's retweeted, but I know for a fact you were on Georgia in the Georgia-Clemson game, and you were on Ohio State in the Ohio State-Oregon game. I lost on both of those. Those are ones where I want to talk about this as a concept, and a lot of times on this show, we'll sort of make these cross-sport analogies. I go back a couple of years when I was doing our Stanley Cup uh, predictions on the site. And I think that year I also got in a friend's bracket contest as well. And I remember looking at the stats. And this may have been maybe 2017. And it was St. Louis-Chicago in the first round. And you're just tempted at that point to pencil in Chicago because St. Louis never got past Chicago. And then... I'm looking at it and like, ah, but the stats say this is their year. This is, this is their year. And it brings me to the concept that something's always true until it isn't. I got that one right. Yeah. And I remember the things that I got right more often than the things I got wrong, because usually I get it wrong like most people. But usually I get it wrong. Oh, and, absolutely. And, I, it, and I, I, I've been doing the same thing this season. I've been, I have been, since week, since week zero, actually, I have been on the... The uh, UCLA train. I mm -hmm. think UCLA. I think you have uh, you, you have uh, oh my Chip Kelly. Oh my God. Oh 
almost blanked that on his name. You have Chip <laughs> Kelly back in the Pac-12 with a vengeance, and I think he, like that team, is going to surprise a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And as much as I mean, you're talking about the, you know both Oregon and uh, Georgia. Before we go to Georgia, I'll just talk about Oregon. I think the Pac-12 is going to be this is kind of like the coming out party of the Pac-12 because right. you have a you finally have Oregon back after the back since you know the Chip Kelly uh, Mariota days mm-hmm. who just you know dethrones Ohio State and then you have UCLA who's just hiding in the back knocking people out and I think you know those two teams are going to meet in the conference championship and if we don't see Oregon in the playoffs I think UCLA is the reason why. Well, it's not likely to be uh, Washington, based on what we saw of them the other night. But no. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know, and those those games. The reason I bring them up together is it, it seems like it's one of these things where again something is true until it isn't. And I go back to that St. Louis Chicago thing in the Stanley Cup playoffs, where again I happened to sit down, I put the work in, I was looking at it. And the numbers convinced me that it was St. Louis's year to get past Chicago, even though I, I risked being ridiculed for that. But again, I fell back in these two games on the whole thing that the public generally does, because uh, you, you look at Georgia, which has been basically operating at the level of a rich man's Mark Rick the last couple of years. It looked like they were poised to take that next step that they hadn't taken with Kirby Smart, but then they've plateaued there. And then with, with Oregon, like you said, the last couple of years in the Pac-12, you know, whoever the best team is, they're not going to win their big intersectional game. So it's that whole thing that something is always true until it isn't. And I'm going to give you credit for at least going one for two on that because you were on Georgia on that one there in a spot where there were a lot of us saying there's no way that Dabo Sweeney's not going to pull a rabbit out of the hat here. And when it came right down to it, there was no rabbit to pull out. No, yeah, I think, I think we've been so – We've been very, we're now used to and almost, you know, numb to this college football playoff paradigm where it's every year it's going to be, uh, you know, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and, uh, you know, whoever the, the fourth contender is, whether it be Notre Dame, Oklahoma, or whatever, but we all know it's probably going to be one of those top three. Mm-hmm. But when you look, I mean, Clemson had two, you know, two very dominant quarterbacks with Trevor Lawrence and before him Deshaun Watson. I didn't feel that with uh, with DJ. I'm not even, even going to try and butcher his last name. <laughs> Good for you. Um, yeah, Uwelewe. Um, but I, you know, I really didn't feel that he was going to have that same spark that uh, that Trevor and, and Deshaun did. And then, while Georgia, I think, you know, I, I I just I don't know. I I do a lot of gut checks when it comes to my picks and my takes. You know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm some analytics or stats guy. I'll check them every once in a while. But sure. I kind of just, you know, use uh, use my gut. And, it, you know, some weeks it works. And then if you go to last week, uh, in terms of my betting, it was the complete opposite. But just in terms of overall fandom, you know, I, I just I just saw Georgia, you know, being that team that's going to take it to Clemson. And I, I don't think, I didn't think that team, that Clemson team had it in them without Trevor and, I guess I was right. <laughs> yeah. No, you got that one right. And, uh, yeah, it's it's just really, really interesting. And maybe that'll be a lesson to a lot of us here, seeing that in back-to-back weeks here, the whole notion of just taking something for granted uh, the way that I think so many of us did, just going on the chalk in both of those games there. And when you were talking about uh, perennial potential contenders for the playoffs, you mentioned Notre Dame. Uh, the, the aspect that I want to talk about with that is – it's a very, very unique and very kind of 2021 kind of a deal there as far as the Toledo game ending up on Peacock. And we, we've spent a tremendous amount of time on this show uh, analyzing the, uh, the streaming industry and different uh, things going on with that. This is a thing where I, I'm looking at it like if you're the Toledo coach, and I haven't heard this, but that had to be bulletin board material because this is the, the updated version of they don't respect you of he had to be in there like, listen, guys, there's no way the USC game would be on Peacock. There's no I don't think they play Clemson this year, but there's no way the Clemson game would be on Peacock, North Carolina. They put the game on Peacock that they thought they could get away with, that if people missed the game, at least they're missing an easy win. No big deal. I'll tune in next week. What does that make you feel, guys? If you're the Toledo coach, you got to be playing that card. And 
it was just very, very fascinating as they came so close to pulling off the upset there. That was what kept going through my mind was those players had to be out there pissed off. They're playing Notre Dame at Notre Dame, but they're not on national TV. They've been relegated to the paywall. It is no respect, basically. I mean, if the coach said that, he wouldn't be too far off because that's what it is. So it's a fascinating dynamic, on I think, on how the, the business of college football can affect what happens on the field there because there's no way, there's no way that didn't give extra motivation to the Rockets out there. And we and we've seen that a couple times actually. I I, I look. I remember uh, in twenty, I believe it was eighteen when uh, when Army played uh, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and it wasn't on. A, it was behind a paywall. I think it was on. It wasn't you know big. It was some Oklahoma pay per view almost. Oh, wow! Buy it like it was a. Like a boxing match, and if you remember that that game, Army took Oklahoma to two overtimes. Yeah. They ultimately lost, but that was you know a near like, and that was still that was Kyler Murray's Oklahoma, where they didn't go to the playoffs like Baker's team did. Right, but that was still a dominant Oklahoma team um, that you know had a great year. And a service academy takes them to two overtimes, and you know almost beats them. So, I mean, we, we definitely, I mean, I didn't even think about that with uh, the Toledo game, but, I mean, there might be a factor to consider when, you know, uh, handicapping teams is, is that, is, you know, getting, uh, taking the limelight away, is that going to affect those players on the, uh, the underdog side? Yeah, I mean, and that's an excellent point on your part, because I didn't even remember that uh, with that. I, I, I can understand with one of the teams being involved why you remember that uh, game, but uh, that is... Uh, yeah, I just I wonder about that. I wonder about the commonality uh, of that, and uh, as we see this more and more over a period of time, and it's just interesting, like how many people were having to shell out the five bucks over the weekend that didn't already have it. Now, a number of people, like my brother, lives in an area, and he's a Notre Dame alum, and he tries not to ever miss a game. Now, he lives in a Comcast household, so I guess they get Peacock for free. Uh, I've already had Peacock, you know, so it's it's one of these things where. It was no big deal. I don't think I even bothered watching any of it, although I could have. But, you know, you, you see it more and more where it, it really just pisses people off to such a great degree. If you think back during the Olympics, uh, the Team USA basketball games, I think the first one on an early Sunday morning, I was on Twitter and I saw Peacock trending. I'm like, what's this about? Well, it was everybody in the world pissed off that they didn't have it there. It's really funny is that, like, Peacock's run all these ads over a period of time. It's free. It's free. It's free. It's like... That is super misleading because so much of their stuff's behind the paywall. You wanted to watch Team USA basketball in real time, it was behind the paywall. You wanted to watch the Notre Dame game, it was behind the paywall. So I think they've cut down on the whole free, free, free thing over a period of time because somebody probably got in their ear and said there's probably a lawsuit going uh, at some point. But yeah, when you look at the growing might of ESPN Plus with how many of the games have been behind the paywall there, they haven't gotten too many big ones there, but... You know, you, you raise an interesting uh, point from a handicapping perspective because I'm sure this is not going to be the last we've seen of this, the two examples we talked about. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's, we, we see it as a lot of these streaming services, these new services try to catch up with Netflix and they don't have, you know, you know even like a catalog like a Disney that has everything, every, you know, the, the top five grossing movies of all time. Mm-hmm. You have these, you know, Peacocks. It's, I mean, Peacock would be broke if it wasn't for the office we must be real but right. i mean that's half that's 90 percent of the reason most people subscribe but no it, it will be interesting to see i mean i don't know we obviously see this changing paradigm in as the ncaa now loses power and this will probably a lot of people including myself pretty i mean the ncaa is gonna cease to exist you know besides just a a governing a very tiny governing body they'll cease to exist with football now that with the conferences and now that NIL is a thing, I mean, we all probably saw that uh, that Dr Pepper commercial twenty two times that had uh, DJ Ugalewe. I know I'm butchering his name, <laughs> the Clemson quarterback, in every single one. I mean, it's it's very jarring now to see college players in uh, in commercial. I mean, I'm happy for him. Obviously, it's a long time coming, but it's definitely uh, changing the way we're gonna you know view the sport. Absolutely, and uh, when we did the uh, college football coverage over the summer with the aforementioned France Stuckberry, we were talking about this of what a revolutionary time it is in terms of name image likeness, 
the whole thing of where it might have stalled right now, but it looked like it was going to be a movement from four teams to 12 in the playoffs in the next couple of years. Plus, the next round of conference realignment and Uber Super Conferences with Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC. So, I mean, 2021 is going to go down as one of the most consequential years in the history of college football, really regardless of anything else that happens this season. Well, I mean, it, you, you brought up a great point about Texas. I mean, I think the biggest thing we learned, you said, you said from the start, you know, everything's true until it's not. Well, one thing, we Texas is not back. We know that's true. Right. And it'll probably stay true for a while. Still getting blown out by a bottom-tier SEC team. But, no, I mean, it, it is going to be interesting. I think moving the playoffs bigger is something everybody, everybody wants because, you know, you had several years where you had a dominant, undefeated, non-Power 5 team get pushed out for another game or for – you know, I mean, obviously Oklahoma is still dominant, but you know, two was it three years ago that UCF team with uh, with Scott Frost that went undefeated and beat I think Georgia in not the Rose Bowl. They beat them in in one of the New Year's bowls, and then That's they right. also beat Auburn. I mean, that was a dominant team that a lot of people, including myself, think could have held its own in, in the playoffs. So I think they they do need to expand it. And, if it was up to me, I'd say, I don't know if I'd go to 12, I'd probably go to 8. I'd say you take the top five, uh, you take the power five uh, conference champs, and you have three wild cards, highest ranked teams, highest, uh, yeah, highest ranked teams that aren't in it. And that way you allow for those, the Cincinnati's, the UCS, or maybe, a, you know, a dominant uh, SEC team that loses a close one to Alabama to still get in. Well, I will uh, freely admit once again, as I have previously on the show, to being the turd in the punch bowl in terms of everybody's playoff mania. I, I was calling for all those years, the plus one, when they were playing two championship uh, teams in the game, the national championship game. Honestly, I love it the way that it is because I do buy into the argument of the sanctity of the regular season. And even this plus one that we have now, this model of the 14 playoff, you do lose at least a little bit because it's not completely impossible that Clemson and or Ohio State worms their way back into this thing versus back in the day that it would have been they would have been out. That was an eliminator game in the two team system in all likelihood, unless it's a year like 07 where I think a two loss LSU team gets in there. But uh, again, that's where you know mine is one of the most popular unpopular opinions in America, and that includes a wide swath of whatever political sayings that anybody might have. I think the guy who likes the four team playoff is the ultimate pariah in today's America, there. Oh, for sure. But I mean, you do have to worry, especially now. Like I said, as the power five, as the you know power five conferences sees more power, or maybe even goes to uh, four conferences. What's what is going to keep them in check from virtually guaranteeing that no outsider gets in? And I think that's been the problem with the with the four with the uh, the four playoffs. Is you're never you will never have a Cincinnati or a UCF or you know what have you get in because they won't allow it. Power, the conferences want that money. I don't really blame them with the system, but a way to check that is to go to is to expand that playoff. I don't disagree that you know one of the more magical things about uh, college football is the sanctity of the regular season. Um, but you know it, it sometimes lends to very you know boring uh, postseason games. You know I remember in twenty thirteen when you know Notre Dame got in. I I I, I have a Really good friend that uh, went to Notre Dame, and I'm, I'll root for him uh, when I'm hanging out with her. But God, I I hate that team for what they made me sit through <laughs> between the playoffs last year when they get blown out, between the the their championship uh, in 2013 when Alabama blew them out. It's just not fun football because you're taking you know you're just kind of you're doing the guesswork rather than you know. I, I, and I think there is some beauty to the magic of. A, you know a wild card run you look you know you look at these NFL teams that have done it those two those Giants teams that you know went all the way up and ended up dethroning Belichick and Brady I mean that's there's something beautiful to that and I think that's why we love sports well you know I, I tell you what and, and I, I'm sitting here pantomiming figuratively pouring one out for my brother who was in the stands for that Alabama Notre Dame game and just being miserable as hell down in I think it was Miami that night and uh, yeah my my bro was not happy with how his uh, Fighting Irish 
played in that one. But as, as far as, yeah, if you're going to be one of these uh, kind of mid-teams and make it into the playoffs, you got to be in a power conference. And that's where that leads me to, if there's been a team that's looked better thus far, and I'm not talking about just sheer dominance, although they've flashed it uh, certainly in places here, but I mean in terms of who you went out and beat, Iowa, which was intermingled in a lot of the top 15 standings in the different polls and services here with Indiana and Iowa State going out there and beating both of them. Now, again, this is Kirk Ferentz, and Kirk Ferentz has got a Kirk Ferentz, so this will be a 9-3 and team at the end, unless, again, to go back to our theme, unless this is the year that that isn't the case. But as of right now, I mean, if you just look at quality wins, who's riding higher than the Hawkeyes? No, I mean, that's definitely fair, but I think, you know, I don't know. Iowa, they, you know, they, their second win is against their, their rival. We know those are always uh, interesting games. I had Iowa State in that one. I'm um, a real big idiot for that. But, you know, I, I don't disagree. I, I just, like you said, I, I see them falling off once we get towards the, the trail end of the season. Um, I really do. I think you're going to have, I think you're going to have a sneaky Pac-12 team. Uh, and I think, I think that those Pac-12 teams are kind of more, really talented teams i think i still i'm gonna keep saying it so in uh you know come uh week 12 i can be like i was right when ucla sneaks in there after beating a dominant oregon team yeah i mean and that that's a real clip and save uh prediction there uh, to be sure as far as it goes with the pac 12 before i circle around to the nfl here i, I want to run this by you and that being that uh going back to uh, this was a feature that I had in our guide, uh, Fantasy Football Draftology 2021, available on the main page at fantasydrafthelp.com. And of course, uh, one of the features in there was a prediction about the college football landscape in 2025. And I got to tell you, I am buying on this notion of uh, the Big Ten getting involved in doing the non uh, geographic located uh, pods, uh, meaning you know stretching across the country here. So I have a Western pod as I look at the Big Ten in 2025, and this is going to hit home for you: Washington, Oregon, USC, and yes, Arizona State. Your your thoughts on that? I don't know. I mean, that's that's sucking a lot of power from the from the Pac-12. I don't. I I feel like you know as as the Pac-12 hasn't been that dominant in terms of championships mm-hmm. they just have there it's a money it, it's still a very money-making conference and they they have a lot of those teams that just are have those massive fan bases so for those four schools to leave and go and you know go to a, a big a big 12 um i don't know I, I i and if we expand the college playoffs like a lot of people are talking about and it goes to what i think they would do which is you know a the conference championships get an automatic bid. If I'm Oregon or you know I'm or I'm you know a dominant USC or UCLA, I don't want to risk going to the playoffs because I got to play Ohio State or you know maybe a resurgent Michigan. I don't see that happening. But, right. You know, it's one of these Big Twelve teams. So, so I don't know. Um, I think that'd be interesting. But seeing the Pac-12 seed power, I don't know. That's a that's a big uh, that's a lofty prediction. Well, but here's the thing, though. Pac-12. I mean, it, let's let's be perfectly honest. Their TV deal, their network is a joke. Uh, the Big Ten and network is uh, an economic. Uh, it, 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 yes. I, I would say engine, but that would be doing it short. Super engine, super collider, whatever you want to call it. For all the times that my dad, the old school Ohio State alum, has said to me, "Why do they have Rutgers and Maryland in there?" I'm like, Dad. That opened up the whole East Coast. That's how the Big Ten Network, you know, took that huge jump forward here because Maryland opens up the Beltway area, Rutgers opens up the NYC area, the entire eastern seaboard was opened up uh, to the Big Ten Network. And uh, the Pac-10 Network, Pac-12 Network, what I, I, that shows how old school I am to say Pac-10, but yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing. You know, they got to try and get on the level somehow of what the SEC and the Big Ten has, and that is very, very difficult at best. Yeah, no, I, I'll buy that for a dollar. Um, but I, I do want to bring up one wild card thing here. Okay. It isn't, you know, not a lot of people are talking about, but some people are. How are you aware of this, this uh, small FCS team, Presbyterian College, and what they're doing? Okay. I'm not, so, not, not real familiar. So this so Presbyterian College is a is a very small team. Their coach, um, I, I'd have to look up his name again. 
but he made it. He made his. Uh, I don't say fortune. He made his uh, career as an, a dominant high school coach. So he gets. He goes and becomes. Uh, you know, the head coach of, of this of this Presbyterian college. Mm-hmm. What he's doing is he has a very uh, video game philosophy when it comes to playing football. He and I shit you not, he only kicks onside kicks. Wow. He goes for fourth every time, and he only uh, and he goes for two every time. They want they won their last two games, like I believe eighty four to forty something and mm-hmm. sixty three to three. Wow. So it's a lot. I've had I've seen a few people talk about this, and I'm sold now. If this if this team just dominates, and granted they're not playing anyone big. But they just if they run the table and win, you know, these massive, massive scores, what's you know, what's who's to say in a couple of years, uh, you know, maybe a smaller a D one school outside the power five says, you know what, let's try this guy out. And they try it. And he she can see success there. And now this could change the college football landscape as we know it. Now this would never happen in the NFL, but imagine if in ten years we're watching college football and we see someone do a kickoff, a regular kickoff, and we're like, what are they doing there? That's weird. Right. Just because everything's become this weird stuff. It's very fascinating, and it'd be a wild but super cool change if, if, this, if this guy could somehow make this work and sneak his way slowly into you know, the, the mainstream college football. Well, I'll tell you what, that's very interesting because that seems like the kind of stuff that would be harder to pick apart than, I'm going to tell you something here from my alma mater, uh, the old Harvard on the Hocking, Ohio University here. This is, this is a story that gets handed down from generation to generation. So one of our star players who subsequently became a coach at the school, Cleve Bryant, uh, who was just an awful, awful head coach. And let me tell you about the idea that this particular frittata had that he thought was particularly smart, and that being you would do, in lieu of an onside kick, he did it where it would be kicked high in the air to about the 45 or 50-yard line or whatever. And then as the guy's getting ready to catch the ball, once he catches it, you clobber him, you force a fumble. The team started doing the fair catch on those ones here, and he kept doing it. He wouldn't let go of it. So, you know, some of these gimmicks are just waiting to be exposed. The ones you're talking about, it seems like it might be a little harder to pick apart. Yeah, no, I just think it, you know, I, I think it would absolutely change it. For anyone that's, uh, I don't know how much uh, experience you've had playing, you know, like a Madden or an NCAA football video game, but that's, mm-hmm. you know, those are those annoying, the annoying players you play are the people that do that. They're kicking on sides and stuff, and you know, it, it, it works out for them. They're not going off of conventional football strategy. It'd be just, you know, wild to see that make it in the uh, in the real thing. I think it would definitely screw up. It would definitely lead to uh, some interesting wins. Now, do I think he could, uh, this strategy could beat an Alabama? Uh, with the right team, maybe, but probably not. Yeah, you never know. And that's one of those things where, uh, you know, gimmicks and those kind of things are always fun. Uh, my, my favorite memory of uh, trotting out any kind of gimmick was uh, – playing my cousin on Madden and bitch-slapping him with the 72 Dolphins doing the run-and-shoot. He was not at all remotely <laughs> ready for that. <laughs> so Yeah, the wheel route, Hail Mary, every play. Yeah, exactly. That was the kind of stuff. The real Bob Greasy, uh, gotta love him, and the Dolphins are my second favorite team. So the, the lineage of the Dolphins, including the, the perfect team might have been before my time, but uh, I still revere that team. Uh, but, yeah, they were not running any of that kind of crap uh, back in the day. But, uh, you know, in, in terms of, uh, speaking of which, uh, the NFL here, there's a couple of yeah. games, as we're looking at this and we're looking back, uh, I, I wonder if the, these games in particular, there was three that jumped out at me, and I wonder if they do anything to kind of change the perceptions at this point as we look at the teams here. And again, you know, overreactions after week one, it's always real easy to do. But uh, based on the performance of both teams in these three games, uh, the first one being Green Bay and New Orleans, uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine today who's an Aaron Rodgers fantasy owner. I, he, he's, he's asking me, you know, about, hey, well, you know, maybe you're going to have to trade me uh, Sam Darnold off your bench at some point. I'm like, dude, we're a long ways away from that. You know, I'd love to be able to hold you up for Sam Darnold, you know, but you, Aaron Rodgers, I would think, again, to me, that was probably just a bad game. But again, and as we've talked about on this show pr- previously, and Chris Galloway and I, when we did the divisional previews, 
not a very good team around Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they're they're kind of top heavy. It's a stars and scrubs kind of a deal to us. And looking at it here, and you saw the scrubs a lot more than you saw the stars on Sunday. Uh, New Orleans, and looking at that, they strike me as kind of much the same because the salary cap is starting to kind of pick them apart a little bit. But uh, Winston went out there and made a believer out of me. I had New Orleans having a bad year. But uh, I'm starting to think they could be at least a fringe playoff team based on what I saw there in that game. And like I said, with Green Bay, I really don't change my opinion at all that they win that division, if only by default. So do you come away looking at either of these two teams differently, Derek? I do. I mean, I, I, I think it'd be wild to say Aaron Rodgers, there's no way he turns it around. But, you know, he's dealing with his personal business getting aired out. You know, a laughing, somewhere of a laughing stock, I guess. If, mm-hmm. You know, you have a more darker sense of humor. But yeah. everybody focusing on that. And also, obviously, professionally, everyone, you know, the whole offseason being the biggest storyline is uh, his drama with the head office. Um, so maybe, you know, that's going to really distract him. And maybe his head's not really in it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I really, I look at that game and I don't know if we're going to see the Packers of last year. I think... Whereas last year, Aaron Rodgers came in with something to prove. I don't think that's the case this year. I think he is, he's distracted and he doesn't have anything to prove now. Uh, maybe maybe this is this will set him off, but I don't know. The Saints, though, Jameis Winston is, he may have been, uh, to quote uh, old uh, Coach Green, that he may have been who we thought he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, that dominant player who just needed a little LASIK eye surgery. Um, through, you know, 30 touchdowns, 30 picks, you know, he could, he, maybe he literally couldn't see that was a joke of a storyline, yeah. but that may have been more true than what we believe. And if that's the case that that's, you know, insane, um, that that's all it took. And he was just sitting there, but I mean, between the bears, um, you know, and the rest of that division, uh, uh, yeah, I could see the Packers still winning it, but not really going anywhere in the, uh, in the, uh, in the playoffs, I mean, we're going to have half the league in the playoffs this year, so, you know, anything's possible, but that's, yeah, they're, they're, there's not gonna, there's not really uh, a Super Bowl contender, I think, floating around in the wings. I mean, unless, of course, Justin Fields comes in and lights it up for the Bears, but I don't see that happening either. I think the Bears' defense is old. I think they're slow, and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, the Bears, I mean, I know we're changing subjects yeah, now, but the ahead. Bears looked worse than... I've ever seen them. I mean, just kidding. Granted, I, I'm, I'm a Matt Stafford believer, but oof, they that Bears defense was making some JV decisions out there. Well, they were, and that's the thing. And I got to say, you know, I, I have a tendency to uh, stick to my guns on things, even when they're unpopular. So I, I must admit that I identify uh, as a Jared Goff truther. So I was a little bit uh, skeptical of a lot of the hype here with uh, Stafford coming into L.A., but, I mean, he looked good there. I, I, I still think it's a real uh, lack of character on the part of Sean McVay. And, and I was I was a Sean McVay day one guy, if only because I believe in bloodlines and the family that he comes from. I thought it set him up for a good advantage. But, I mean, the way that he's just dumped on Goff ever since then. I, the new guy is so much better. I can't believe what a steaming pile of maneuver I had last year. But, I mean, hey, you know, if you're if you're a Stafford believer, I mean, game one makes you look good. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of with Sean McVay here. I think Goff was kind of enabled by... Uh, by Gurley and his early success. I mean, when you have the top one of the top runners in the league on your team, I think you can be a you can be a system quarterback and just not make any mistakes. I think Goff is just I you know I never saw I never really saw anything there. Him you know us playing him twice a year as a Cardinals fan. Um, but I mean, before we get to the NFC West, and I know you want to talk about that, and I know I want to talk about that. Sure. Um, I say. My other big takeaway from this week one and early, mm-hmm. you know, early stupid predictions is the Alabama quarterbacks. I think those three, so you know, going back to somewhat going back to college, but mm-hmm. you know, Nick Saban churning out three quarterbacks in a row that are now starting in the NFL with yeah. Tua, Jalen Hurts, and uh, and and uh, Mac Jones, all having a really good performance. I mean, granted. Matt Jones' first game, uh, I thought he looked. I thought he looked better than you know. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence for sure. Uh, I think Jalen Hurts looked dominant. I was 
I remember when he came in for the first time against the Cardinals, he almost pulled an upset there. Uh, and then obviously you have Tua, who I think is starting to figure it out. But I'm gonna, I, I, I think those three quarterbacks, the three, the Bama three, are gonna do some damage this year. I think Patriots found their guy, and uh, I'm not super high on Tua, but I do think he's he'll definitely be around the league for a while. But Jalen Hurts, I mean, he he looked. I mean, I don't know if it was a a really bad Falcons team, a really good Eagles team, but maybe a little both, but. I think those three are going to be pretty uh, pretty dominant these next few years. See, and I'm I'm more skeptical on uh, Hurts. I'm I'm sort of more waiting for the other shoe to drop with him with Tua. And again, like I said, the Dolphins are my my one A team uh, historically, so I root for them whenever they're not playing the Brownies. But uh, I've been saying I think Tua, especially you know with the upgraded weaponry, look out for him. And I think he's uh, living up to that a little bit. I will say as far as it goes with. Uh, Jared Goff and, and my Brownies going back to the 16 draft. That was a thing where, uh, you know, I was trying to push the phrase in Cleveland, turn your head and cough for Goff, as I was hoping we would get the top pick. Because, uh, again, I was very enamored, and, and, and FDH Lounge dignitary Ben Chu, a.k.a. Ben the Skeptic, loves hammering me and poking holes in different things here. But like, Rick, you tend to fall in love with highlight videos. But, man, I'm telling you, Derek, if you've ever seen any of the highlight videos the deep ball placement that guy had in college. I don't know what has happened subsequently, man, but I have rarely seen anybody coming out of school putting a deep ball down there on a dime like that guy did. That said, I still didn't think Detroit was going to go anywhere this year because, man, did they set him up for failure. Yeah, no, I mean, Detroit's just a perennial. I mean, they were, they're kind of becoming the, how the Browns were for a while there. Yep. But, I mean, before, you know, the Browns, though, that was uh, that was quite a, a a game against the Chiefs. I think Mahomes yeah. and 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 that team continues to be dominant. I mean, that, that's sort of the it, it kind of comparing it to uh, the you know the Cardinals as well with with Kyler Murray. But these dynamic quarterbacks, I mean, you can just Mahomes is you're never out with Mahomes. I would I would kill to be and I'm you know we're kind of close with the Cardinals and having Kyler Murray on board but yeah Mahomes you're never out with a guy like that he is I mean I don't know how they they pulled that off but between well you know it was it was painful uh, I will say any one of four things doesn't happen including Nick Chubb for my money the best running back in the NFL fumbling which he never does uh, but between that, Jamie Gillen having the brain fart on the punt. I mean, there was still room to uh, to punt when he was running it out there. People are going to point to Baker's INT on the last play, but you're going to have that particularly because he got hit as he was throwing it. And then, of course, uh, everybody piles on John Johnson the third. our wonderful new uh, signing in the secondary there for the, uh, the Hill touchdown where he was wide open. But uh, it was probably Ward that was on him in the first place. Nobody talks about that part of it and that the cornerback blew it just as badly. But uh, any one of those four things doesn't happen, and uh, the good guys probably hang on. But uh, as, I was, as I've been saying to people this week, I mean, super disappointed and a gut punch, but it doesn't move me off my prediction of uh, a Super Bowl contender. I mean, you couldn't watch that game and not come away saying, damn, I don't want any part of these guys. No, absolutely. I think it's going to be a real I, – I think it is going to be a tough division. I think – I. Not take Cleveland as uh, out of my playoffs for sure. I think they can make a run. Um, I think Cincinnati. I think Burrow is going to have a great sophomore season. Um, and it's you know that's 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 going to be a pretty tough division there. And then you know obviously comparing it to uh, the NFC West, which as as happy as I am with the my Cardinals and their performance, I I think that division is going to be a juggernaut. I don't I don't and. That's going to hurt us. I mean, the, the Niners looked awesome. Seattle, and obviously we talked about the Rams. So, and it, I mean, has there been a uh, playoffs with all four teams making it in a division? Because uh, we may see that this year with the NFC West. Well, yeah, it wasn't possible before uh, last year, and uh, now it'll it'll be possible again this year with the permanent uh, 14 team setup. I think it's entirely possible, and every one of those games in division is going to be must-see viewing. I will say that uh, I had picked uh, Arizona as a wild card team coming into the year, albeit before you get too enthused, Derek. Part of that comes from 
me sort of viewing the NFC as a hot circle of garbage, so to speak. Albeit, again, my opinion of it is raised somewhat after this week and seeing some of the play out there. And in particular, Seattle, who I picked to be in last place, they certainly look better than I thought they were going to look. I continue to think they have more holes on defense than they're used to having, and I think that that may come back to bite them at some point. And haven't had a good offensive line since grunge was in fashion, so... You know, there's going to be some things that, you know, are going to be uh, rearing their head there with them. But, uh, you know, that's that's a whole thing. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. Our two divisions, as far as which one's better, I would have said at the beginning of the year uh, by a razor's edge, the AFC North, because you mentioned the Bengals. And I think they are, I said before this weekend, I think they're a stealth playoff contender. Obviously, I'm a big Joe Burrow guy, as he's more or less an honorary Ohio Buckeye, or, or Bobcat, I should say. He was a former Ohio State Buckeye, of course, but all you know, sort of the honorary uh, Bobcat. Uh, they even named the high school football stadium in Athens, where I called games. Uh, they, they, they named that after him. So because of his Athens-Ohio ties, but beyond that, I, I'm a believer in what he's going to be able to do with that team. Uh, Baltimore, I think, takes a hit, and you saw it on Monday night. Uh, the the, uh, the the running game, what they're going to do here, they, they've already lost their top two guys for the season. I already had the Browns, though, as the uh, division champs even before that. I had Pittsburgh picked for last place, and that's a thing where, again, and, and that may very well still be the case because I'm not a believer in Roethlisberger at this stage of his no, career. Not at all. I, the, the guy you saw down the stretch is the real guy as opposed to the guy who was there for 11-0, and 0, so... Honestly, because I still hold to my opinion of him, I think I now lean ever so slightly to the NFC West because I had Seattle picked for last place uh, in that division before this weekend. And if I'm right about that, they are way better than Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. I mean, Seattle, I, I just every year, as, especially as a, as a Cardinals fan in that division, I wait for, oh, this is the year Russell Wilson drops off. This is the year Russell Wilson drops off. And every year I just end up eating crow and hating my life watching watching him play and we always tend to split games with seattle um so uh, i yeah i i do think that division to both my i guess somewhat prop like uh you know pride and also to my you know chagrin as we have to play all these teams twice i think the nfc west is easily the most dominant and you know i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out almost uh a wild card here. I think the NFC South might sneakily be uh, one of the better divisions. I think obviously Atlanta's trash. Um, yeah. But and even though and Carolina though, I think Darnold found a better home there. Um, and obviously we know Tampa and we know we just talked about New Orleans. But I think Carolina might might be a sneaky good team. Uh, I think Darnold was held back by Gase and the the other shit show that's the Jets. Yes. Um, but, you know, I see three really good teams there. And maybe Atlanta turns it around, but uh, I don't know. We certainly, you know, the NFC North's joke now. Um, and the NFC East, Dallas, I think, is going to have a resurgent year. And obviously, I'm high on Hurts and Philly, but, you know, Washington, I, I thought they'd have a big year. They look terrible. The Giants, obviously, are the Giants. They're always terrible. But no, I think uh, I think there's a couple uh, besides the AFC North. I don't disagree with you, but um, I do think the NFC uh, the NFC South is going to be uh, up there as one of the more dominant divisions. I agree with that in the sense that uh, again, like I said, I may have to do a reappraisal on New Orleans after what they did this weekend here, and I already was picking Carolina as a playoff team because again. Uh, in addition to being a Jared Goff truther, and I, I tend to really hang on to my opinions, I'm a Sam Darnold truther. And Sam Darnold's actually the guy I wanted in the draft in 2018 for the Browns. And I was pretty pissed when they passed on him for Baker, albeit obviously I've since made my peace with it. But uh, Darnold, yeah, and I'll tell you, you know, uh, Russ Cohen, a Jets fan that he is, uh, you know, uh, thought that it was justified to move on from him. I said, I said, there should be a war crimes trial at The Hague for you guys ruining Sam Darnold, this precious jewel. To me, he was arguably maybe the best quarterback prospect to come out since Andrew Luck. That's how highly I had him rated. And uh, I absolutely think that with Matt Rule in Carolina that he can get it turned around. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that is something as well here, too. By the way, Russ Cohen's Jets, if not for them, I think we'd be putting the AFC East in the same conversation because... 
Buffalo, and they showed it this week. I picked them to win the division, but I thought they were overblown as a Super Bowl uh, playoff team that uh, people were, were saying Super Bowl contender. There's more holes on that defense than people think. It's certainly not a bad defense, but it's not impregnable the way everybody talks about. My Miami Dolphins are going to be right up there. New England doesn't have too many holes at the expense of a salary cap rampage that's going to cost them for years to come, but whatever, they filled most of their holes. The AFC East probably in that conversation too, if not for the Jets, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. But, um, you know, I think that I, the Jets, I could see them being a, a mid-season surpriser. I, I'm not going to, you know, Robert Sala, I think he, I think he's a phenomenal coach, great mm-hmm. defense of mind, and uh, I think being around that Niners team as well, you know, I, I think he can turn around the Jets. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not totally out on them, but obviously looking at them right now, they're, uh, they're definitely uh, – one of the weaker teams in the uh, in the conference, but no, I, I do think you know the Patriots between the Patriots, Buffalo, Miami. That those three really solid teams. Um, I'm still waiting for you know the Belichick to because I was when it, when Brady left and everyone said, well, is it is it Belich- was it Belichick or was it Brady? I was always a Belichick guy. I was like, it's his coaching. He was what created the dominance that was the New England Patriots, but. The last couple of years, I keep, you know, Brady is making a, almost a, an, uh, an ultimate argument that he was the dominant force and Belichick had nothing to do with him. I mean, nothing, but he was definitely not the, uh, the catalyst. Well, and you get to see him go head-to-head in the next couple weeks here. Uh, that'll be a Sunday nighter that uh, NBC made sure to snarf up when they were doing the uh, divvying out the schedule assignments here. So uh, that'll be something that... Uh, you know, it'll be 24-7 coverage on every channel, including probably the three news channels uh, leading up to that game. <laughs> and, you know, so we have that to look forward to as we go along. But, uh, you know, a very, very eventful start to the season in college and uh, NFL. Uh, any Anything else that uh, we didn't talk about yet in either one that catches you, Derek? No. I mean, it's obviously week one, so. We're probably going to look in uh, 10 weeks and be like, well, we were wrong on everything. Or at least I'll say that. Well, we'll we'll see. And, you know, that's the joy of it, too. No sense uh, not, uh, you know, as I always say, you know, for anything with me, any of my foibles, the price of a colorful life. So, you know, if if, if we got any of these things wrong, uh, at least we took a swing at it and uh, stuck our necks out there. But uh, uh, as I knew it would be, uh, Derek, a a joy to have you in here uh, talking about this, and I look forward to uh, subsequent uh, football conversations as we uh, go along, my man. Thank you so much, and great job. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it, Derek. Thank you, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini, episode 1379.